to the beginning of the Bible. In fact, we're going right the way back to the start of this world and this universe that we live in. And we're discovering how these first three chapters of Genesis lay the foundations for all that we know and believe about ourselves and other people, all that we know and believe about this world and our place in it. And one of the things about being made in the image of God, and we're going to think a lot about that today, is that God has given us minds with which to think deeply. I wonder how often we do that. Certainly, I wonder how often we do that when it comes to the things that God has revealed to us. So, I want to give you special encouragement today to think deeply during and after this sermon, during and after what we hear from God in His Word. I urge you to stay with me as we look at God's Word together. And it is so important that we know and we understand that the Bible's teaching about us as human beings, about our place in the world here at the beginning of the Bible, will determine our approach to so many issues in our world today. So, with that in mind, turn with me again, please, to Genesis chapter 1 and to verses 26 to 31. And as we come to this chapter again, remember what we have already learned in this chapter together, what we were thinking about last time, some foundational truths about God and His creation that are presented to us in this chapter. Remember that God is the creator of everything, so that back in verse 1, when there's reference made to the heavens and the earth, those are the polar opposites that encompass everything. We have discovered that God's creation had structure and order. And the remarkable truth that we were presented with last time was that God made this world out of nothing, that the very building blocks on which creation is built, those things of time and space and matter, which are scientifically measurable things, these very things were brought into existence by God's voice and His Spirit. And we also discovered that God's creation was good so that we have that little checkpoint all the way through creation at the end of each day with reference made to, to the creation being good. And then we have that summary statement at the end of chapter 1. If you look at verse 31, that God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. And so, today we turn to verses 26 to 31, which is part of the activity on the sixth day of creation, specifically God's creation of mankind. And straight away, when you look at those verses, you'll notice that Genesis chapter 1 is not really concerned with the nuts and bolts of the creation of man, because think for one moment about what we are like. Think about the the complexity of our bodies and our minds. And yet then look at the brevity with which the creation of man is described here. So, verse 26, we hear, let us make man. And then the following verse, verse 27, so God created man. So, 
in those two verses, we have two phrases of just four words that state God's intention and His action. So, then the absolutely central point is that we were made by God, that we are part of His creation, that that everything that we read about in verse 1 includes us. And the Genesis account is not so much concerned about the how, but the, the why. The focus is much more on God's purpose in creating man. And the key phrase that we want to think about today is that phrase, in God's image. That is such a key truth about the creation of mankind that that is actually mentioned four times in just those two verses. So, that if we read through those foundational verses again in chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, let's count up the references to image and likeness. Then God said, let us make man in our image. There's the first reference. Straight away after that, in our likeness, the second. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27, so God created man in His own image. Number three, in the image, number four of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So, that's the, the big central point that is being made. And then elsewhere in Scripture, for example, the psalm that we just read together, Psalm 8, while that is not a chapter from a textbook, but it is a song of praise to God, it really adds to our understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. If you look at that psalm again, the psalmist expresses amazement at man's place in creation. Verse 3 of Psalm 8, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. And maybe you've felt that way, which is expressed there in verse 3 of that psalm. If you've gone out at nighttime and you've looked up at the sky, and on a couple of the nights earlier this week, there were those really clear nights where when you looked up, you could see the, the sky absolutely full of stars. And as we increase in our understanding and in our capacity to see deep into the universe, when we realize that there are, in fact, millions of galaxies, that blows our minds. Even if we just think about the vastness of this world that we live in, and I've been watching that program that Simon Reeve is doing, where he's exploring the remaining wildernesses in the world. Last week, he was in the Patagonia ice field, and you see the vastness of those places, the inaccessibility of those places. And when you think about all of that, we can feel so incredibly insignificant. We can feel like the tiniest specks in the universe. And indeed, that's how secular humanists, that's how atheists 
regard our place in this world. But how does God regard us? What has the Lord revealed about us? Well, Psalm 8, He is mindful of us. He cares for us. He has crowned us with glory and honor. And right at the end today, we will get into some very specific applications from all of this. But just for now, let, let me put this to you today. If you are feeling worthless, and there can be all kinds of reasons that leave us feeling worthless, that leave us feeling of little value in this world, of having little purpose in this life, if that's how you're feeling, then look at Psalm 8 and know that this is how the Lord regards you, that He has crowned you with glory and honor. And if you regard other people as being worthless, whether that's specific individuals who you struggle to get along with, or whether that's whole groups of people, a section of the community, a race of people, will then know that that is how the Lord regards them. He has crowned them with glory and honor. So, in the time that remains, what I want to explore is what it means to be made in the image of God, and then what that means for us in our day-to-day -day lives. First of all, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? And much study has been made of those Hebrew words in verse 26 that we translate in the NIV as image and likeness. And let me try and summarize all of the deep thinking that has been done about the use of those words. The first thing to say is that it is likeness, not sameness, because after all, God is God. He stands apart from all of His creation, including us. But what we can say is this, that being made in the image of God means that man is like God and represents God. And we'll come back, at the, come back to that at the end, what that actually means to be representing God, because that is so important. So, we as people made in the image of God stand apart from the rest of creation, including animals. So, in what ways are we actually like God? In what ways do we stand apart from the rest of creation? Well, there's a number of ways in which, that's the, in which that's the case. Let me highlight just some. The first way in which we are like God is that we have morality. We know from God's Word that He is holy, that He is perfect, and that He perfectly knows and judges what is right and what is wrong. And we as people who are made in His image are therefore morally accountable before God for our actions. But also, as people made in His image, we have been given a moral compass. We have a sense of what is right and what is wrong, and you have that sense deep within you. That's why when you watch or listen to or read the news, there are things that just leave you feeling so bad. It's like on, on Friday, I was going to to visit someone in the hospital in Belfast. And on my journey up there, I was listening to the radio, and it was the, 
the sentencing of those two young people in England, that horrific murder, and I was listening to it almost with disbelief, all of the, the planning and all of the stuff they were saying. And, and intrinsically, instinctively, you know that's wrong. You have this feeling, that's not right. And it's this that sets us apart from the, the other living creatures in creation, from the animals, including our, our dearly loved pets. You know, my dog Toby will do something simply because he knows that there's a fear of punishment or there's a risk of reward. That's all that motivates him. There's not an intrinsic moral sense, I want to be good because that's the way that I've been created to be. No, it's, well, I'll get a nice bit of Vita bread if I go back in there again, or I'll get put to bed if I do that thing again. But we have been created with a moral compass. And yes, that moral compass has been damaged by the fall, and we'll come to that in future weeks. It has been tarnished. It, it doesn't work in the way that it's meant to, and yet it is still there. There is still an instinctive sense of what is right and what is wrong. Another thing that separates us out from the rest of creation that reflects that we are made in the image of God is spirituality. Although I'm almost reluctant to use that word because it's become so diluted and, and so kind of loaded in its meaning. But we have already discovered that we are immortal beings, that one of the, the, the factors or one of the, the consequences of being made in God's image is that our soul will live forever. And indeed, we have been created by God with a sense of eternity in our hearts, as we're told in God's Word in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. And we've also been created with an awareness of God and an, and an ability to relate to Him. So that at the beginning of the book of Romans, Paul says in Romans 1 verse 21 that creation itself is a demonstration of God's existence and nature so that we have no excuse for not knowing God. So, we've been given morality and spirituality, but also as people created in God's image, we have been given minds. Part of what it means to be made in His image is that we have this wonderful capacity for reasoning and learning that sets us apart from the animals. And yes, I know you can encounter highly… you'll tell me afterwards about your dog that does tricks and all the rest of it, and there are highly intelligent animals that can be trained to solve complex problems in order to gain a reward, but you'll never meet a dolphin with a PhD. You'll never encounter a family pet, a dog who is sitting reading philosophy. You'll not hear a chimpanzee discuss moral issues like abortion and euthanasia. And we have this wonderful ability to communicate. We have the ability to develop language. We have creativity. We have already thought about that. We have complex emotions, and they all demonstrate our likeness to God and that we have been set apart from other living creatures. And one final thing, and that is relationships. And yes, I know 
there are animals that live in community and they work together for survival, hyenas, penguins, lions, all the rest of it. But we have been made with a unique capacity for deep interpersonal connection, reflected in key relationships in society, marriage, family, church family, fellowship together here in the church. And in all of this, we display the likeness of our Trinitarian God. Remember that He is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now, this is where I want you to get using your brains. I want you to think about how these deep foundational truths impact on how we see this world and how we look at our place in this world. So, first of all, as we think about our relationship to this planet, and what we have discovered is that part of the likeness of God that we have as those made in His image is the function of ruling His creation. Have a look at that. Verse 26, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over all the earth. And in the instruction given in verse 28 to the first man and the first woman, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. And if we think about what we're told in Psalm 8 and verse 6, it sums all of this up. You have made him, this is the psalmist speaking to God about what God has done for us. You have made him, that is humankind, ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. And when you think about it, this is incredible grace, that God who has made everything, God who is over everything, has given us this particular role, this responsibility in His world. And I believe, and I, I want to say there are at least a couple of implications from what we are hearing, these foundational truths in Genesis 1. The first is, and I really want to stress this, and I want you to hear this so carefully, given what I'll then go on to say, but the first is the absolute importance of caring for this planet. So that if you look into the following chapter, chapter 2, verse 15, you see there that man is placed in the Garden of Eden with the instruction to work it and to take care of it. So that we have been given by God this incredible responsibility of being good stewards of what He has placed under our care, and we must take that seriously. And today, farming families here, you are living that out more than anybody else. You're in this wonderful position of living out what was first instructed to Adam and Eve, and you need to take that seriously in your care for the environment around you. But then, I believe that these foundational truths stated here in Genesis chapter 1 give us a really helpful and important perspective in an age of what is described as climate activism, where we have big and increasingly aggressive campaigns to change our practices and our habits. 
And all of this way of thinking is summed up in the, the thoughts of the naturalist Chris Packham, who I've already referred to in this series, in his provocatively entitled program made for Channel 4 last year, Is It Time to Break the Law? And in that program, and I hope I'm doing him justice here, his central argument is this, the future of this planet is so vitally important that we should do whatever it takes to reverse climate change. And we need to understand that Chris Packham, and by the way, I happen to really like a lot of Chris Packham's programs, but we need to understand his worldview. Let's be really clear that his worldview is one without God, that in his mind and in the mind of so many people in our society today, the one thing, the only thing that separates humans from all other natural things is that we just got a little bit further in evolution. We have evolved to where we are at. And if you think that way about humans, if that is your foundational belief about how we came into being and how we came into our place in this world, then you will not see our place in this planet as being that significant. And in fact, that's reflected in the, the kind of shocking conclusion that Chris Packham makes in this documentary. His conclusion is twofold. First of all, he believes that mankind will wipe itself out because of the destruction that we have caused to the earth, that we will no longer be able to survive on this planet. And then his ultimate conclusion is that is a good thing, because as he puts it, then the planet, without man's influence, will have an opportunity to replenish and thrive once again. Now, I've got to say today that that is an argument. That is a conclusion that completely turns on its head the timeline that we have thought about throughout this series, the timeline that is presented to us in Scripture, the timeline of a limited time for this world. Remember, a world that has a beginning, in the beginning God made the heavens and the earth. The world that will have an end, as we discovered in Second Peter, that God has reserved fire for judgment. And it turns on its head what we believe about ourselves, that as people made in God's image, we have souls that are immortal. We will not come to an end. And so, I urge you to think biblically about these things, because there are extremists in our society today who would try and dictate to us how we live in every area of our life. And, and some of those concerns are real and valid. Don't get me wrong here today, but there are many things that we should reflect upon as people created in God's image. When someone argues you should not have children because children are damaging to this planet, God says, be fruitful and increase. When someone says, don't fly, don't use air travel because of the damage it causes, I think about the relationships, the matrix of relationships that we have across this world, made in God's image to be in relationship with each other, and those relationships are so important. If your sister lives in Canada, if your son lives in New Zealand, if your brother lives in Finland, go and see them and pursue relationship. 
when people want to disrupt our lives and stop people from getting to their work that they've been created to do, to get to their place of learning, to use the minds that they've been created to use, to get to have cancer treatment, to help them live and thrive. These people who are going to these places are created by God with glory and honor. So, what I'm saying is this, think biblically about these things or our relationship to the animals. Verse 26, then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the seas and the birds of the air, over the livestock, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And the instruction comes again in verse 28 to the first man and woman, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So, we're able to see our place in creation in relation to the animals. It is made so very clear. And again, there are implications. And let the roasties sit just a while longer because these things are important. The implication, number one, that we recognize that we have a caring role for animals that the foundational truths presented in Genesis 1 and 2 leave absolutely no room for cruelty to animals that have been created by God. Be very clear about that. But then once again, there is an important perspective provided by these verses. And if we go back to our worldviews, if we go back to our beliefs about how everything started and about how we have got here, we'll think again about the person who believes that the only thing that separates me and separates you from the animals is that we made it one step further in evolution. If you believe that, it begins to blur the distinction between humans and animals. And if you believe that, and it is proven time and time again, then you begin to elevate animal rights as to being equal to human rights. Have you ever noticed that? And when you do that, when you equate animal rights to human rights, it's not improving things for animals. It's diminishing human rights. It's diminishing our identity as people made in the image of God. It's the kind of thinking about our place in the world that leads people to justifying and advocating abortion and euthanasia. And yet we are crowned with glory and honor. And who do you think is crowned with glory and honor? The fit people, the people walking around, the people like you and me who are able to shake hands and talk and get on with our day. All people, the unborn child, the person with dementia, the person in the hospice who is approaching death, these are people who are crowned with glory and honor. So, think biblically about these things. We're completely out of time, but there's one important thing to say at the end. Remember that our calling is to be image bearers. 
What that means is people who are displaying what God is like in our lives. And we know that the image has been tarnished by the fall, that sin is present in all of our lives, and it tarnishes this likeness. It causes us to fail to be what we have been created to be. And so, inevitably and wonderfully, this brings us to Jesus, because Jesus is the one who bore that image of God perfectly. He is the radiance of His glory. He is the exact representation of His being. He's the one who lived it out just completely right in this world. And not only that, He is the one who died for you so that you could be redeemed and restored to being an image bearer of God, to be someone in relationship with Him as God intended you to be as He created you. So, even back here, even in Genesis 1, this is gospel. This is good news. It wonderfully and totally leads us to Jesus. And I leave you with Him today. Amen.